We are in a series called I Am a Church Member. So we're thankful that you um, are joining us today. This is our third week in the series. Um, the first week we discovered the truth that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I would encourage and challenge each person here to read, memorize, think on, consider that passage of scripture. It's an incredible place in scripture that talks about the body of Christ being an organism, not an organization. It's not with Jesus as the president and CEO, but it's as Jesus, the head on a body, and we are the body of Christ. Amen? So last week, we talked about our responsibility to be a unifying church member, not to gossip, not to allow gossip to happen, uh, forgiving one another and not holding grudges. Uh, unity is only possible, we said, where there is love. There's no way to have unity where there isn't love, where love is not present. So we must intentionally and jealously guard the unity of our church. Otherwise, we don't put up with any junk around here. We are all works in progress, but we want to be healthy works in progress. Amen? So uh, maybe you remember a Rolling Stones song with this title, You Can't Always Get What You Want. Today, that's the title of my message. Uh, that song was written back in the 1960s, towards the end of the 60s, and uh, it references love, politics, and other things, and basically it has that same theme running through it that says, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you might find you get what you need. Um, I guess I have a question this morning that I wanted to ask you, and I know there are some parents in the room with some college students, so please answer carefully. Um, the question is, have you ever met a selfish brat? <laughs> Some of the kids are nodding their heads. Some of the, the college students are nodding their heads. Yes, all of us have met a selfish brat at some point. How many of you would just be honest and say you've been a selfish brat at some point? Okay, we got some good honesty. This is good. This is a, a great diving board to start on. Um, Kids can really struggle. Uh, little kids can really struggle with, you know, sharing and learning compromise and all that kind of stuff. They want it their way. They only want it their way. Why can't I have it my way? Um, I love those memes that get passed around on Facebook with the little kid that's like, you know, screaming, crying, and it, the caption says, because I wouldn't let her wear her pink shoes, you know, or whatever. It's just those sorts of things. It's a good thing that when you hit like the age of like 18, that phase goes away, right? No? It's a good thing that in every church you go to, you'll never find one of those because Christians are not selfish brats, right? <laughs> right? No, I thought we were supposed to grow out of this, though. This is, the, the truth is, though, you can't always get what you want. And we have seen, we have been, we could acknowledge that this morning, we have been a selfish brat a time or two, or maybe that's the story of your life. But I will say there is hope the reason this, more, this message this morning is important is because even grown-ups and even Christian grown-ups, <laughs> even if you fit both of those categories, uh, struggle with this idea. Uh, temper tantrums and throwing fits and kicking and screaming simply because they haven't gotten their way, it's not okay. 
It's not okay for you to allow your child to do that either. So I'll take a moment. I'm a parent. I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. Most people who know them would attest to the fact that they are well-behaved. They're pretty disciplined. Do they have their moments of good? Yes. Do they have their moments of bad and questionable? Yes. But we are doing our absolute best to raise them right. I'll give you an example. I shared this with somebody across the table at uh, lunch the other day. And um, I said, you know, we're talking about discipline and things like that. And I said, I can remember the moment that I looked in my little daughter's eyes, my firstborn, Madeline. And I can remember when I just gently and gracefully looked into her eyes and I said, daddy is going to win. You are, you are not getting what you want. So you have a choice and you can choose your attitude. You can choose whether you're going to get a punishment or not, but you are not going to get your way. Now, that's not because I'm a mean father. That's because her way conflicted with my way of leadership and saying, hey, listen, if you want to stay home by yourself, you can't do that because you're three years old, right? I mean, honestly, there's got to be some trust with those who are in leadership. And so I think that kind of plays into us not always getting what we want when it comes to church. We joked last week, but the joke is so serious. It has serious connotations. Church splits have happened because people disagreed on the color of the carpet. And that to me, I'll just be honest with you and Frank, is stupid, <laughs> all right? Uh, that is just not okay in the body of Christ to have that sort of division and that sort of temper tantrum over little tiny things. But this plays out in churches all the time and it's not okay, it's gotta stop in those churches and it's not gonna start in our church because we want to be a healthy church. So we've gotta be vigilant and stand against our own selfishness. This is a real challenge because that's, you, you really, I mean, you can see it in the eyes of a kid. You can see that behavior that happens where they are selfish. And like even with my two daughters, my seven-year-old and five-year-old, we try to like get them to share. But then there are certain things that, you know, Madeline, the seven-year-old, she gets and she wants to keep in good working order <laughs> and she doesn't want my five-year-old to touch. And so we have to balance that whole thing. Well, this is a special thing that you can keep all to yourself, but everything else needs to be shared. And so we have to do that. We have to have that same remembrance in the body of Christ as we're growing together that we have to take that same approach um, and we've got to stand against our own selfishness. And that's hard because that saying, I'm giving up the stuff I want. That saying, I'm giving up my preference, I'm giving up my desire, I'm compromising, I'm coming to terms with the whole. So, We've got to be ready and willing to give up our preferences rather than selfishly demanding our own will, our own desires, and our own way. Is it true? Can it be true? Has it been true that your way could have been the best way in the situation? Absolutely. But there's got to be this trust that we have in the body of Christ that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of each of us. And if we're willing to work it out instead of flying away, but fight it out, hug it out, and figure it out, God can do so much more through the unified body of Christ than he can with those little tiny schisms of people who are all divided over their own little preference and their own little thing. So Mark chapter nine, verse 35, we'll have that for you on the screen, but you can read along in your own Bible. If you'd like to locate the Wi-Fi, it's called Celebrate. 
and it's, uh, there's no password on it. So if you just highlight Wi-Fi, the building reception is not all that great. Uh, so you'll probably need it if you're gonna look up something on your Bible. Mark chapter nine, verse 35 is this. It says, and he, Jesus, sat down, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So take just a moment and think about maybe the last time that you had an opportunity to say these words, me first. You know, you think of the kid getting in line. No, 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 don't cut me. I was here first, right? Uh, we think of people even as, yeah, I mean, we're adults and we might have that attitude in the car when somebody <laughs> tries to get in the lane and they, they run up in the construction zone and you know they know you saw the sign and they saw the sign, but now they're cutting in and you have this attitude and this thought, me first, the disciples were having the same problem. In fact, if you look at the context, we're not gonna go through the whole chapter, but if you look at Mark chapter nine, the beginning section there, they're dealing with something that they can't quite figure out. And Jesus says, you couldn't do it because this kind, this kind of issue is only handled with prayer and fasting. So he does the work they could not do because they weren't ready to do it. And they're having a talk on the road home and they're saying, who's going to be first? I bet I'm going to sit next to Jesus. I am the first. I am the... After they just failed to complete a task and he had to do it for them. Are you getting this? The selfishness that's present in this moment that they just botched it up. And now in this moment, they're, they're still saying, who's going to be first? I bet I'm going to sit on his right hand side. I bet you're going to sit on his left. I bet they're having this conversation and, and they've had it in other places in scripture too. And he says, he sits down, the Bible says there, and he calls them to himself and he says, if any of you desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Jesus was all about the paradigm shift People thought he was going to be the king that was going to come and usurp the authority that was of the day. He was going to establish a kingdom. It was going to be an earthly kingdom, a now kingdom. And he changed all of that around. He said, the kingdom that I have is eternal. And so he started to try to help them understand. But there are still moments, even at the foot of the cross, that they aren't quite getting it. They're not quite getting it. Peter, when he's denying Christ, the moments before Christ is crucified, he's still not getting it fully. When Jesus says he takes it to another level, he says in the Old Testament, it said, if you laid with a woman, you, caused, you committed adultery. Now I say to you, if you even think it in your head, you've already sinned, you've already done it. So he's establishing this high standard, but then he reverses course on a lot of their methodology. They thought, well, if I'm going to be first, I've got to be at the front of the line, right? That only makes sense. But here he's telling the disciples, it's not as, it's not what you think it is. It's not as what you have assumed it to be. In fact, he shall be the last and the servant of all. I grew up going to Christian school and I'll never forget how angry I would get when I would hear somebody like a teacher say, don't worry, Dexter, the first shall be last. It didn't fit, okay? It didn't fit then. Please don't use it like that for your kids, okay? That's not what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about serving and serving in the place of humility. How can you do that with the combative force of demanding your own way? Those two things cannot be reconciled together. 
So that's a real challenge. And as we talk about being a healthy, functioning member of the body of Christ, we use that imagery that Paul so wisely expounds on in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, you are the body of Christ and God sets you as a member right where you are. So that means there are fingers that are needed. There are Knees that are needed, there are other aspects of the body that are needed. And the only way you know what you are in the body of Christ is to know what you're gifted in. So that's why I challenge all of you to know what things you are gifted in. Yes, you can serve in areas that you're not gifted in and you can help out, but that's just a warm body filling a role. What we want to do is we want to see people who are impassioned and graced to be able to do certain functions in the body of Christ and have them be in that place. Because when that, when that happens, the whole body works together in, in a miraculous way. And, it's, and we're able to fulfill the mission that you saw when you came in this morning. We're able to love all, everyone, when that happens. When every piece of the body is working well together, we're able to impact our world, your world, your coworkers, your life, not just a victim of a natural disaster somewhere else, but the people that you meet every day for lunch and the people that you hang out with, impacting them and then growing together. That's what the body of Christ should be doing. Imagine an infant going through the stages of development all the way up to full adulthood. And Paul uses that imagery on and on throughout scripture because he wants us to understand we've got to grow up. Amen? So to be a Christ follower and to be a church member, my motivation should never be to get my way and my will accomplished, no matter what the cost. And there are people that treat it as such. We are truly supposed to be vying for last position, not first position. Think about what Jesus says when he says, when you give, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Think about what he says to the Pharisees. They're all the time, oh, Lord, I thank you. And they pray these giant prayers in front of everybody. And he says they've already gotten what they looked for. They've already gotten their reward because they wanted somebody to pat them on the back. So he's, he's saying all the time that we've got to be vying for last position, not first. So we hear that, but it's a challenge to live by that. We're told by Christ to be servants instead of seeking to be served. The paradigm that's in the American church ends up being the consumer versus the contributor. And that's really what we're trying to get to the heart of when we talk about being a church member in a healthy, functioning church. We want people who are contributing to the cause and to the mission of the church. Not when I say contributing, you might think financially, but I mean in every way, in your time and your talents and your finance, in every way contributing, not just being a consumer. How many of you have a kid that's a consumer? <laughs> yeah, okay. How many of you have been consumers, right? There's been times where my, my wife and I, we've gone you know, out to eat maybe the day before and then the next day because of different things. And then on the third day, the girls are like, okay, where are we gonna go eat tonight? Because they're, they're just, they're ready to like get about doing that high lifestyle of eating out all the time. And we're like, nope, tonight's chicken and mac and cheese. Okay, this is what we're doing. Um, so that's just, the, that's the way that we've got to understand it though. In the church, what ends up happening is if you're fighting over carpet, I can tell you you're a consumer because you want it your way. You want the lights your way. You want certain aspects. You want your ministry to have top-notch priority, that kind of stuff. And Kelly, this is why I love preaching this message now, because we don't have that problem right now. 
Amen? That's right. Give yourselves a round of applause. God is good. We're developing a healthy, lively, vibrant church. And when we do, we've got to always be guarding against the onslaught of the enemy because he's there with the next infraction, the next time. You came in this morning, and if you're home folk, you saw the connection centers changed and rearranged. It looks a little different than it did last week. If somebody gets mad about that, I'm really sorry. But we are all the time flexible and moving in the right direction to try to say, hey, we are here for Jesus and for others. Amen? Think about the example that Jesus lived before his disciples. Let's go to John chapter 13. The verses should be on the screen for you shortly. We'll read through a passage that's 17 verses long. I just want you to hear it if you're not going to follow along on your own scripture, but read along on the screen. It says this on the first verse. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Think about that. He loved them to the end. That included the person who was going to deny him. That included the person who was going to betray him. That included you and I before we ever knew him. He loved them to the end. Verse two, supper being finished or ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his garments and he took a towel and he girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. He came, he came to Simon Peter in verse six, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Look up at me for just a moment. You have to understand the eagerness in this moment of Peter saying, no, no, Jesus, don't. I've been walking around all day in donkey poop and dirt and all this stuff of the city is on me. No, you are way too high and mighty. You are, you are God's son. There's no way you should be washing my feet. No, say it's not so. Jesus said, if you don't allow me to serve you, you don't have any part of me. It's a powerful thought. Verse nine says this, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, okay, you've convinced me. So not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So he goes overboard. He goes underboard and then overboard. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say this well, for, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, or truly, I say to you in verse 16, a servant is not 
greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We've heard the story before. Chances are every person in this room knows that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. We think about it in the context of, oh, that's a cool story. And wow, that must have been a powerful moment for the disciples. But we don't really absorb the reality that Jesus says those words, a servant is not greater than his master. And he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We are to wash one another's feet. That's the humble role of a servant. That does not sound like a selfish person who is desiring to get their own way. That sounds like someone who kind of looks like Jesus. Amen? So, not me first, but me last. How can the Son of God act as a servant to all? It's a matter of the heart and an attitude that should always be present in the life and the heart of every believer. So that's why we say we'll call people on the carpet. We say we'll, we'll ask, hey, listen, are you behaving the way that Jesus wants you to behave in this situation? If you didn't know this, let me state this again. First Corinthians, the love chapter that we read about in chapter 13, it was written to a church that was having trouble. It was not written for a marriage ceremony, but we use it for marriage ceremonies all the time. In fact, if you've ever been in a contentious church setting where people were yelling or arguing or fighting or being, behaving badly, <laughs> uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is the thing that you should read because love is patient. Love is kind. It does put up with a whole lot of stuff and it keeps on loving because we realize it's not about us. It's about God and it's about them. Amen? So we can see in John 13, the attitude of Jesus and his actions. He debased himself. I want you to understand this, okay? It's not only that he just took on flesh and came and was born as the son of God into humanity, but he literally lowered himself. If you imagine and you, you look back at the history, in those days, the least of all servants was the one who was the door guy who washed the feet of everybody because they didn't have closed-toed shoes. They had sandals and all these things and everybody was dirty, but maybe they had just bathed, just like Jesus said, and they came to the party and they walked down the street and they got their feet dirty. So before coming in the house, there would be a lowly servant sitting right there at the door washing the feet of all those people who came in. That was like the worst job. And Jesus took that job on because he wanted to demonstrate that reality for us that he was the least of all and to give us that example of becoming least of all to others. Let's go to Philippians chapter two and this is the last passage we'll read for the day. Le Philippians chapter two, verse five is where we'll start. It says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a slave or a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found, it says in verse eight, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. 
Verse nine says, therefore God also has highly exalted him. Do you get that picture? He, he was lowered to the lowest status and now God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every other name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There are a couple things I want to point out to you in this passage of scripture we just read. Not only the, the significance of him being lowered status and then the father raising him to the highly exalted place, but it says something really important that if we skipped over, we might not, we might not get the, the full picture. Verse eight says this, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death, the death of a cross. That humility in him allowed him to obey. The, the absence of selfishness allowed him to fulfill God's mission and God's plan for him. And because he followed through with it, we all have the opportunity to have eternal salvation. We all have the opportunity to have hope like we've never known before because he obeyed even to the point of death. There's some thought that goes behind the, the reading of the scripture in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus is caught, uh, you know, he's, he's been praying in John chapter 17, I believe it is, and then, or John chapter 16, he prays, and then in, verse, in chapter 17, he is, um, he's found by Judas and the guards. But in those moments where he's prayed in the garden, we've heard that prayer recited before, and we've heard the prayer that he's prayed as he goes away from the disciples for a moment, and he says, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But even so, not my will, but yours be done. That's a glorious image. That's a perfect picture of what God wants us to be able to say is not my will, but God's will. So he exalted him so that every knee could bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. So after having looked at Jesus' example, we've seen his example of him washing the feet. We've seen in this passage of scripture in Philippians chapter two, the imagery of what's occurred as a result of his humility and obedience. So then how should we behave as a Christ follower and as a church member? I think there are three things really quickly that we should always exemplify. The first is humility. How many of you have ever met a humble person? You ever met somebody who is just extremely humble? They were just, they didn't talk high about themselves. They did things nice for others. They didn't make a big deal out of it. I mean, just humble, wonderful people. We ought to be those people that others think about when a pastor asks that question, amen? The second thing is this, is love. We talk about it being the cornerstone. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul is talking, he's saying, you can have all the spiritual gifts in chapter 12. You can have all this, you know, heebie-jeebie sort of goosebump feelings. But if you don't have love, you ain't got nothing. That's Dexter's paraphrase. <laughs> you don't have anything, right? If you don't have love, you don't have anything. It's the tie that binds. It's the unifier that brings us together. It's truly the bond that holds the body of Christ together. 
If you imagine the tendons and the systems in the body, the veins and the flesh, that's what love is to the body of Christ. It's holding us together. So we've got to have it. We've got to have it in moments where we don't feel like having it. Right? I'm waiting for an amen. Okay, good. We've got to have it in those moments, right? And then we've always got to remember that we can't always get what we want. I joked with my wife. Well, I wasn't joking, but she turned it into a joke. Um, she's serving in the toddler room, so I can talk about her this morning. Um, I joked with her this week, and she said, well, what are you preaching on? And I said, you can't always get what you want. She said, well, you do. I said, no, I don't. I said, let me tell you about the times that I didn't get what I wanted. And we just had a good laugh about it. But the reality is, is we can't. And here's, here's what it is. The significance is a grown-up knows that right? All of you moms in here, you can't always get what you want. You would love to sleep until noon, but you can't, okay? It's just not okay. It never works out that way. Maybe the husband is nice and he tries to give you an extra hour or two of sleep, but still, you just never, it's never going to happen the way you wish it would. And we understand that in adulthood, but in, in our childlikeness sometimes, in our immaturity, we don't really get that. I want to encourage you to look up in that same passage of scripture to the first four verses of Philippians chapter two. It says this, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Verse three, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then it says, that's what Jesus did. In verse five through 11 that we read, when it says he was he was lowered so he could be exalted. So be like-minded, possess the same love, be unified together. Do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit. Exercise humility. And don't be only all about your own interests, but also consider and esteem and worry about and work for the interests of others. When conflicts occur, we've got to be ready to lay down our desire. When challenges occur, we've got to be flexible. I'll never forget my first missions trip going um, down to Mexico, and I was just a teenager. I didn't actually qualify for the trip because of my age, but I knew somebody, and they got me on the trip, and I was so excited, and I was there with a friend of mine who was another pastor's kid, and we were down there, and I was thinking, man, this is awesome. We're going to go in here. We're going to save the world. All these little children are going to come to Jesus. It's going to be amazing. I'm telling you, it was the worst it was heartbreaking. I cried every day. The Lord broke my spirit for those people. And I can remember the devotion that was given every single night. And that was when I was 13 and a half, 14, and went there. I can remember the devotion every single night that the district youth director would give. And he would say this. He would say the same devotion every single night because we needed to hear it. He said, there's a word in Spanish, flexibilidad. And that means flexibility. 
to be flexible. The plan's gonna change. We might end up in a different village tomorrow. We might not have the same bed tonight. We might go a different, you might not get a hamburger on this trip, but you know what? You're going to do something that impacts the world. And I'll never forget, and I, I, I loved him for sharing that with me because that set us in the right tone for every single day. It should set us in the right tone for every single time that we're with the body of believers, that we could be flexible, that we could understand and appreciate others' interests and not just our own. So when we face conflict, a lot of times and most often, we desire retaliation and revenge, right? Somebody ticks you off, you want to get them back. <laughs> Somebody cuts you off, you're like, mm, in two miles from now, I'm going to cut them off and run them in the ditch. You know, you just have, it's something in us that we've got to give to Jesus. And I talk about driving because it applies to me, okay? <laughs> no, I know something else. You just think of your own scenario, but it applies to me, okay? Why don't you guys use blinkers? I don't, okay, never mind. Let, let's just, okay. I'm like, I see you coming and I think you're slowing down, but I can't go yet because you're not, nah. Anyway, instead of getting revenge, instead of retaliation, instead of doing that, we ought to be having that image of Jesus in our head. We ought to be not believing immediately the worst about someone, but believing that God has a plan for them, that they're a member in the body of Christ, even if we disagree, even if we don't see eye to eye, that we can still march on mission to what God wants us to be doing and where he wants us to be. So would you stand with me today? I want to challenge you there are those of you who are here who are visiting and you're from other places. I want you to take this message to heart and I want you to go home and I want you to practice it. I want you to be, I, I want this message to impact the world and your world around you. If you leave from this place, I want you to have that challenge in you to be a better church member where you are. Not because it's your behavior of being better, but because you've allowed Jesus to minister to your heart and help you realize the significance that servanthood really is the top priority. Second Corinthians 5 verse 17 and 18 say this, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The next verse in verse 18, it says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and he's given to you the ministry of reconciliation. That's a powerful challenge for each one of us that we're not to be selfish and get our own way, but we're to be reconciled not only to Christ, but also have that ministry of reconciliation where we reach out to others. Close your eyes with me, if you would, for just a moment. We pray a prayer at the end of almost every one of our services, and we encourage you to just whisper this prayer out loud. And we say this simple phrase, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? We, we wanna know, Holy Spirit, what you wanna say to us today. So right now, people of God that are here in this room, I just challenge you to ask the Holy Spirit, what is he saying to you through this message? And take just a moment to listen to that voice. Holy Spirit, would you speak to every heart in this place today? Every mom, every dad, every parent, every grown-up, every person that's here, every college student. 
Every person that listens to this message on podcast later, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, the challenge we have as you keep your eyes closed, the challenge I give to you today is to commit yourself to do whatever it is. Maybe there's something that jumped out at you in the message and you say, that's what I needed to hear today. That's what I need to be acting on or being part of, more vigilant about. I want you to commit yourself today to the Lord in prayer as I close. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for these people. I thank you for your word that brings life. And Lord, I thank you for your example. Jesus, you truly were made in the likeness of men and even took the lowest position available. And you were exalted so that we could also be servants. Lord, help us to treat this as the highest priority. Help us not to, not to be vying for me first, but help us to always be vying for you first and for us in that place of servanthood. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. amen.